Hello and welcome to Cinema Spectator, show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Saving Private Ryan, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Tom Hanks and Matt Damon. My name is Cameron Tuttle and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? War. War never changes, Cameron. <laughs> I'm I'm I, well, I, I'm uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty good. I'm doing well. Yeah. Uh I, just saying that reminded me. I mean, obviously there's a connection with fallout trailers but did you see that starfield trailer um at the uh press conference for xbox no, no oh not at all. <laughs> it was uh it was pretty wild you know they is that the bethesda game yeah they're making some big claims dude not sure mm-hmm. not sure about it but it does look promising so it's okay i never finished one of those games anyways but i'm just looking forward to um the just awful jank that is in this the, the, this new game I wonder what kind of things will be swapped with with other things. And when you, you know, go into the water, will your game lock up like in Skyrim? <laughs> Let's hope not, man. I I mean, I, I really have no idea what to expect from it because I'm not a big Bethesda guy. But um, yeah, it's been a big week for video games. Obviously, this this podcast is about m- movies, but Cameron and I play a lot of video games. So um, there's all the different announcements and whatnot. A lot of movie tie-ins, right? It's it's beginning to infect that industry actually with like Marvel and Star Wars, and it's weird. Like these big, kind of kind of probably how some film nerds think about like um, how great talent is being stolen away into the Marvel studios or the Disney studios <laughs> to do things. Like it's kind of the the right, same thing right. is happening in gaming actually. Uh, which is an interesting parallel, Cameron. What have you have you thought about that recently? Um, well, I was thinking about that with the Last of Us stuff, the, the all the news about that, about how, just how how much of a waste um, I feel like that that whole situation is. I mean, the 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 first Last of Us, they're remaking it. Just by the way, the first Last of Us looks still just amazing. I mean, it's I played it recently, and it and it still looks gorgeous. So there's there's no reason to remake that game and it's taking away, you know, talent and resources from uh another game that could have been made. Um and it, yeah, that's that's a that's a disappointing element. Um obviously it's being made by Naughty Dog now, um which I know there was some behind the scenes um situation about that. They didn't really want to make the game. Um and I don't blame them because why would you want to remake the the same game, you know, 10 years later or whatever? It just, yeah, doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me at least, but yeah, this whole, got to pull in the money. The whole transmedia thing between like gaming and movies is probably, you know, I'm not going to say we're going to get into that conversation with this movie because I think there are ties to that. Uh, oh yeah. Let's talk with, about uh, it. <laughs> with Medal of Honor and things like that. Um, so we're not completely off base, but it's interesting how a studio like Naughty Dog who makes, uh, Uncharted and The Last of Us are now releasing Uncharted movies and they're trying to like create their properties into movies, right? Uh, the HBO show that's coming out for The Last of Us um, is also being launched here pretty soon with, I think, that remake. And then inversely, it's like fi- uh, d- different film series are then beginning to expand as they're losing the audience in the theaters. Particularly Marvel is is kind of partnering with a couple different studios sort of being agnostic in their approach and same with star wars as they're it seems like almost every major publisher has working on a star wars game at this point so um it it is it's funny how the two industries talk back and forth they might not be so separate as as you might think 
Um, Cameron, have you been watching anything or playing anything that I guess can relate to this conversation at all? Um, not that relates, but I have been, I, so I watched men yesterday, the new Alex Garland movie, uh, with Juzo at a very strange little theater in Oakland, um, called, Ooh, I forget new something cinema. Um, and it's weird. It has like couches. You like sit and there's, you like sit on couches. It's very strange. Um, but it was, it was a cool theater. Was, I would go back. Um, men, little bit underwhelming for me i it wasn't like garland is a guy who i think is is an extreme talent especially in making you sort of um yeah giving you like an experience and making you feel certain things and he definitely did this uh, you know he he made you feel a certain way uh with this movie but i think for for all of the other points of the movie you know, it's kind of lackluster. I don't think it's it's quite as finished as um, or quite as polished as some of his other films. Um, you know, Annihilation and uh, Ex Machina specifically. And then I don't know if you know Devs, um, Isaac. Do you know that? I show? haven't seen any of these movies or shows. Oh, all, so you 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 saw Ex Machina, right? Nope. Oh okay. no. Well, anyways, um, yeah. So he so. I don't know. To me, it was it was a little bit underwhelming. Not a bad movie by any means, just because he's such a good talent. Um, but I think I think overall, it's a it's a unique horror film. Um, has some really fun, disturbing gags at the end, um, and I I like the atmosphere. I think it, you know it's set in this sort of small rural um, British village, um, you know, countryside very beautiful but a little bit menacing at the same time so overall i'd give it a hearty seven and a half it was pretty good not too bad um but i i don't know for me i wanted a little bit more out of a garland film mm. if that makes sense yeah i haven't really been watching too much i am re-watching the stranger things season with glenn so here we go another nine hours of uh footage but it's been fun to watch his reaction and um, if you care about my brother's review, which he's been on the last podcast once, uh, he loves it. He's like, this show is way, way better than everything else that I've watched on TV for a long time. So, um, I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's fun and it's definitely well-made with a big budget. So just enjoy it. If that's your thing. Um, we haven't caught up on episode five of Kenobi. I don't know if that's out tonight or something like that um but i have been watching kenobi i haven't sort of brought any of my thoughts about the show um onto our podcast but it's weird i i was really excited for this series i think ewan mcgregor's great and he's still great but um i feel so sterile watching this show i'm so <laughs> bored um i really it's sad but i just don't there's so many interesting tidbits that they bring up and don't flesh out. And um, Stranger Things does the opposite, you know, with characters, right? And it's characters. So, you know, there's an element of Obi-Wan Kenobi being like, he's sort of lost his faith, right? In the Jedi Order, you know, he's this old guy out in the desert, right? That's kind of the premise of the show. And I'm like, okay, wait, this could actually be sort of an interesting you know, introspective kind of series or something, but it it just are, it already 
gets so stupid so quick. And hmm. um, I don't care if I say this because it's not much of a spoiler, but within the first episode or second episode, it's like Princess Leia as a child is a character. Uh, and she's a prominent character. She's like the Grogu of this show. Like someone was like, oh, we no. need another <laughs> like little cute figure that uh, is going to be awesome, you know? And so this toddler child basically has, you know, the ability to outsmart Imperial forces, bounty hunters, and she's inc- she's so smart and witty. It's just weird, man. Like It's like it's a kid. Like how, like if you want to make him like adorable, don't make him, you know, a snarky, like obnoxious child. Like that doesn't help, right. you know, like that doesn't make me care about them. At least the tiny frog baby didn't make very much noise. So it wasn't so annoying <laughs> by their presence. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't recommend the show. It bums me out. Um I don't really understand why people are excited about Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. They literally put him in a suit and don't let him say anything, you know? So I'm not <laughs> I'm not entirely sure why people are celebrating the return of Hayden Christensen when you don't see him. It's not even his voice. It's a AI James Earl Jones voice, um, which is even stranger for Darth Vader. So it's Hayden Christensen acting like a puppet, basically. Um <laughs> I, I'm not like I, I'm not quite sure why we br- had to bring him back for that, um, but anyways, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, they 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 didn't give him any lines. They just they just let him you know marinate in the suit. That was his that was his role. <laughs> no, he really proved himself in the in the prequels. I guess. <laughs> I mean, I just th- there was one scene like in episode three where he is standing out in the field, kind of like there's like a haunting moment where, you know, Obi-Wan like sees him not in the suit, you know, like kind of like, and those are the elements of the show that I'm like, Oh, I love this. You know, like I like the idea of like trauma and, you know, kind of being lost in thought and kind of post, um, almost like survivor's guilt. But again, I would say that Stranger Things season four has a better exploration of survivor's guilt than this show, right? Um, which is cool, you know? It's just sad that um, it's so flat. So we're going to move on from that. Um, we are going to read a audience question. Remember, you can write into the show if you support us on the Patreon level. I think it's $5 level. So uh, you can check us check it out, all the different benefits at patreon.com slash ecfs productions if you want to support the show we appreciate you guys being here uh tim smith writes in and it's very timely for this episode is tom cruise the last star of the older era you know cameron we we've been talking a lot about at least privately not on this show but it seems that we have we have a small group chat with a couple friends right um and one of the reoccurring themes that comes out is like this this old era, right? We were talking about best decades of film off air. And so obviously maybe we'll give a little context to the the older era first, and then we'll go into Tom Cruise's self, Cameron. But what do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, I think Tim is kind of, um, this is a little bit of a double entendre on his part, because I think he's also talking about classic film stars. Um, you know, you think of like Humphrey Bogart or, um, or even Kirk Douglas, who we've talked about a little bit in the past. Um, and they were sort of 
um, that was like who you went to see the movie for. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, which I really don't think we have that anymore. Though, to Tim's point, and then so you know, moving on from there, um, we were also talking about sort of the last um, classic Hollywood you know, generation or, you know, what, what seems to be that we're coming out of, um, com- coming out of a little bit of a golden age in the, t- uh, 2000s, 2010s, um, and nineties as well. We're coming out of a golden age, going into maybe a darker period in the 2020s, um, partially because of t- TV and sort of, uh, you know, high, high end, high production TV. Um, but also I think people are not quite as, um, interested in going to the theaters, I guess uh, you could say. And, you know, it's likely that, you know, theaters, there will probably be more theaters closing and box office sales are probably going to go, you know, down and down and down. Um, but so I would say, yes, in some ways, Tom Cruise is kind of the last, um, the last movie star in a lot of ways. I, you think about someone who is... um who's a name that will get people into seats? I think with Top Gun just coming out, um, which did you see that, Isaac? No, I haven't seen it yet. No. Okay. Well, with with Top Gun just coming out and um, it being a pretty successful movie, a pretty big hit, at least from what I, from what I hear. I mean, I know a lot of people who went and saw it and really loved it and were kind of blown away. And, and so... I think Tom Cruise is one of the reasons that that movie was successful other than it, you know, it's a name brand obviously. And it's been in production for a long time. They've kind of hyped it over the past two years, I guess. So there, there was a lot of things that, that went into the success of that movie. But at the same time, I think Tom Cruise, every movie, every project that he does in, in some ways um, has his name behind it in that, you know, you know, that he, is going to do something insane or, you know, he's going to hang off the side of a plane or he's going to, you know, halo jump for real and, and, you know, things like that. And so, or he's going to fly a, you know, a jet for real. And so, so like he has a certain element of, um, it's like an, it's, it's another level of entertainment on top of, um, just his, you know, presence it's also his, um, I think, daringness and the fact that he produces all of these movies and he wants to do his own stunts. So um, I think he is he is very likely one of the last people who people will see that there's a new Tom Cruise movie and go see it because of him, if that makes sense. I don't know of very many other actors who have that kind of cachet with, with the public, at least. Um, so... Well, I, I mean, I, I do think that there are a lot of actors like that currently um, outside of Tom Cruise. I would say um, I'm, I'm thinking of Ryan Reynolds kind of attaches himself to certain projects, right? Um, even someone like, and, and maybe this is too much of a stretch, but I'm, I'm just thinking from like personal anecdote. Um, what's that guy's name? Is it Will Arnett um, that was... Uh, in the Lego Batman movie, 
Yeah, that's yeah. He's like he's. He, I don't think he's a movie star. In no, the same way no, that Tom, I don't think he, Tom Cruise. No, is. no, no, no. I don't. I don't think he is. But it's interesting when he attaches himself, like like he's part of that new uh, twisted metal show or whatever, and he's attaching himself as a producer. Even a even an even a younger star like Tom Holland, um, you know, bringing in a, a new audience to the Uncharted movie series, right? Uh, just his name alone and his attachment to the project brings in fans, right? Um, I would even argue that Timothy Chalamet in Dune and Zendaya in Dune brought in some attention to that movie, whereas probably most of the people that went to see it, I, pr- I would actually probably argue half of the people that went to go see it went because they were like, oh, there's a lot of actors in this movie, right? It's not necessarily that they were interested in Dune at all, so um yeah maybe maybe um i mean i guess i guess i think the only other person who maybe can compete is someone like like robert downey jr but again how much of that is due to his you know connection as iron man um you know due to the role that he plays if that makes sense um yeah and yeah but i i don't know i mean i think i think people i think it's rare for people to go to the theater for an actor um, anymore, if that makes sense. I don't know. I, I, I think I disagree because I do think that Robert Downey Jr. acts the same way, almost like some of these old classic Hollywood actors where they are like the same person in every movie. And, um, like I would even go as far as to say like Tom Cruise is kind of that way too, in some regard. Yes. Where he, he yeah, is like sort of the same, right. he is like the Tom Cruise on screen. So I, I think I think we still have that. Um, even just because I, I did see the Uncharted movie, like Tom Holland is still Tom Holland, which is sort of I think I think he might be um, he he might be a good example of someone who's kind of up still up and coming and doing the same. Um, he's kind of on the same track, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, you know he'll he'll get his name and you know as Spider Man, but at the same time he he probably will um bring people in more than just for that. I mean, I think I think Chalamet maybe maybe there. I don't know though. I'm not I'm not sure because I, I think it's hard. I think people like what's what's familiar in a lot of ways and um I think the Marvel movies are very familiar and so it's hard to it's hard to disassociate these actors from, you know, not Chalamet, obviously, but disassociate Tom Holland and from, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr. Like, is their success because they're in Marvel movies or is it because, you know, they're a household name and people people actually like them? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but. Yeah, but I mean, again, like we've had conversations about Marvel movies being comparable to the Western era, right? And you could say the same thing about Western actors and actresses where it's like, well, they they were just attached to that thing. And it's interesting how so... I mean, especially someone like uh, Clint Eastwood, how he branched out more into war films and how that even bled into his, uh, his, his cowboy appearances in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, right? Which is strangely a war movie right like if you actually watch it it is a, yeah. yeah it is a it's, war it's 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 kind of strange but i don't know tim i don't think tom cruise is the last star of an older era because 
I, I don't, I mean, of his era, maybe, but I, I just, I mean, Tom, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I don't, who knows? We'll see. I, I don't, I don't think that, that actors alone are bringing, um, people to the box office anymore. So that's kind of my, uh, my thought on that. I, I, I really don't, um, so well, you're the expert, Cameron. So I would, if I had to bet money, I'd place it on your guess first. <laughs> but I do disagree. Uh, this is Cinema Spectator. Again, you can support us at Patreon.com/slash/ECFSProductions. Get some exclusive content uh, every once in a while. We put out some commentary track or a bonus episode for you guys. Um, you can also have your questions read on air, like Tim, or have the ability to vote on the films we watch each month if you don't have a few dollars it's all good we appreciate a rating on itunes or sharing the show or telling from the family all that stuff helps the show grow a lot we appreciate you guys listening to it thank you for the support um it it encourages us cameron and i you know it's fun to just sit around and talk about movies and the fact that we have people listening i mean it, it really makes us excited to do it again i also want to um i know i posted something about on social media about it but uh, i want to apologize this episode is running a little bit late on Wednesday. Uh, we just had a scheduling mistake. So that one's actually on me. Cameron was on it. So um, I just apologize yeah. for it being a little late, you guys. Um, but hopefully you'll still enjoy the episode. I'm really excited to talk about Saving Private Ryan. It has been probably over, no, definitely over 10 years since I've seen this movie, um, which is crazy. It makes me feel really old think of that. But Cameron, give us context, everything you want to do for the intro. Yeah, Saving Private Ryan. I mean, what what is there to say about this movie other than it's probably the most um, beloved, well-known, and, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways, um, best uh, World War II movies of all time. Um, like, I would say this is probably the pinnacle of World War II movies. Um, came out in 1998. Uh, this was kind of after a run of, um, you know, basically no uh no misses for uh for steven spielberg um in the 90s i mean he was like on another level you know <laughs> he was doing jurassic park schindler's list uh uh and um well i guess he did the second jurassic park so maybe that's a miss but um <laughs> but you know in the 90s he was he was really kind of he he had become a a, a big big star in another way um and, you know, I think I think in a lot of ways, this movie sort of catapulted catapulted him um, as as being, you know, almost legendary after this point. I, I think probably Schindler's List did the same thing. Um, but I mean, this this movie, everybody knows this movie. Everybody has seen the first at least the first uh, 20 minutes of it. I mean, I, I don't think there's a person like, did you watch this for for high school or anything? Because I think I think we watched it. Um, we watched the opening sequence in class, and I think we we had we had it assigned, um, you know, for class for U.S. history. So, um, I and this is like in the canon, basically, not even just of cinema, but of sort of um, culturally relevant movies in a lot of ways. Um, so I don't think there's much. To, much more to say other than it is it's kind of a legendary movie um and only in you know 
25 years or whatever. Definitely, definitely. I I think most of our conversation is going to start with revisiting this movie. I think revisiting this movie after watching the films we've watched for this show, um, I, I feel like, although this movie is legendary, it was like I had a different appreciation for this film. Uh, one that I didn't... I did. I definitely did not have the first time. I think I remember watching this movie for the first time in middle school with my dad, mm. and I was very excited to watch it. I, it was basically like that war movie I had heard about, and I was like, I sh- I really need to watch this. And so I was, you know, asking my dad over, and, hey, you know, I want to watch this movie. And as far as like grotesque, violent, you know, rated R movies go, my parents they are all American. They love a good war movie. You know, they're like, that's totally fine. <laughs> Suddenly, like, you know, the the foul language and stuff, they're like, it's not, you know, it doesn't seem to be as much of a problem when it when it's like a war film for them. So I always thought that was funny. Um, Though it is, it is very disturbing. I mean, the the grotesqueness of this movie, um, you know, even, even, you know, I think some of the ending sequence is maybe more disturbing than some of the Omaha Beach stuff um, for me personally, but... Um, I think we can get into that later, but I mean, it is surprising. I think, I think, yeah, my parents were, were pretty okay with me watching uh, my dad, especially, you know, definitely wanted me to watch the movie cause he loves, he loves war movies and he, he loves, you know, this kind of this era as well. Yeah. I think there's something really special about Spielberg's ability to explore incredibly dark subject matter and not shy away from the subject matter but still have this retaining note of hope across such a dark and evil scenario, you know? Um, And I think that's what really solidified like a new appreciation for Spielberg that I'd never had for him uh, Mm. in in this viewing. And, you know, I was thinking about a friend of the show, Juzo, and how he's a big fan of Spielberg. And I would never say that I dislike Spielberg, but I know that I have watched his movies and I've always thought, well, that was pretty good. But I never, I was never like, oh my goodness, like this is like, like the the second coming of Jesus, you know, this, this film, right? Um, and I think it's because I hadn't watched as many movies. Uh, I haven't mm. watched, I didn't, I hadn't watched as many boring movies. I hadn't watched as many unintentional movies and i think my favorite thing about watching saving saving private ryan for this this is the second time i've seen it is how how effortless the attention to detail is displayed uh it's shocking how incredibly well executed this movie is it's basically like poetry uh, in cinema. And I know that that is like pro- the most obnoxious thing to, for me to say, but I was particularly taken back and I'm just going to kind of bring you through the plot a little bit. If you haven't seen the movie, right. There's the, the Omaha or the, there's the D-Day invasion, right. And, um, they're in France. There's a squad that's led by Tom Hanks. They're sent out to find this guy, um, uh, private Ryan. And they're, supposed to bring him home because a lot of his brothers had died in combat. All all three of his brothers had died in combat. Yeah. And there's a beautiful sequence, which I never remembered, um, with like, I think it's the general and with, uh, 
um, with Brian Cranston, right, right, <laughs> which I forgot he was in this movie, right, um, where he, you know, the general reads a letter by um, Abraham Lincoln. And I was like, <laughs> you know, it's like even in the first like twenty minutes, Spielberg is laying on the uh, the drama, um, laying it on thick. Yeah, but it's also um, like a very patriotic movie, you know, in, in a way that's one hundred percent where where it's like <laughs> unabashedly. It demands a respect for the older generation, and it was pretty refreshing to watch this movie, especially in some of the political climate of today where, you know, everyone wants to complain on Twitter about different things, right? Um, there, There's a respect for an older generation that was probably even missing back in the 90s when this movie was made, you know? Um, and I think there is something universal about that, especially coming from like a mod or from from an American perspective, watching this movie too. Um, but I kind of want to get into s- some other things as well that, that I thought were really well um, handled. Yeah, the the um, the open like they're going to find this guy, and there's an early sequence in the first town um, with Vin Diesel with the girl, right? And I think this is where I realized I'm like, okay, not only was that opening scene incredible, you know, there's all this chaos happening, beautiful shots everywhere. Um, and before they get to the town, they have one of my favorite scenes in in all of cinema where they're walking in that field with the sheep walking by. Like that is like the scene that I remember about this film, <laughs> which is weird, right? But that th- yeah. that's like what I remember the most about that mo- this movie watching it. So in the second viewing, after that that sheep scene when they're all walking and chatting and you know they're making fun of the translator and stuff, they get to this town where there's a family uh, of I think it's a French family and they're trying to give their daughter to this squad, and there's a tension with uh, Tom Hanks who's saying, "Hey, you know we can't take this kid. We're on a mission." Um, one of the soldiers takes the kid. The soldier gets shot because of it. The kid doesn't get shot, but now she's in the middle of combat and there's all this tension building, right? And there's this amazing stacking of like, okay, suddenly, and and this was my favorite part is I watched this scene with Jules too, which she hates war movies, right? But I was amazed how well this scene was constructed because it brought her in. It brought her in when she didn't want to be watching this movie, right? She connected with the, the little girl, right? oh my gosh, what is this girl doing? She's like, I can't watch this. This is too much for me, right? This little girl's here. So now you're concerned about the little girl. You know, Vin Diesel getting shot, you're kind of like, I guess, like, I don't really care about him too much. Spielberg then has Vin Diesel pull out a letter to his mom as he's like crying (laughs) and bleeding out. Like the drama is just escalating, right? Where he's like, He's and like, then and then Millish is you know trying to run over right right <laughs> and, and save him. There's there's another care yeah yeah the the medic is like I think I need to go over there because we need to save him. The you know Tom Hanks fed up because the guy didn't listen to the orders in the first place was like shut up and don't move you know. Meanwhile the sniper's trying to find the the guy who shot Vin Diesel right. <laughs> so there's like all these stacking elements, and I think what what is incredible about this scene and it continues to happen throughout the movie is that Spielberg is able to say, I don't know what you care about, but I will make sure you care about this scene by constructing it in a way that provides an audience drive or an audience engagement factor. 
whether you care about the soldier bleeding out, whether you're empathetic for his family life, whether you're empathetic for the little girl, whether you're there just to be an action dude and you're trying to watch what's happening with, you know, the sniper, the sniper, the sniper yeah. battle, right? Or if you're more concerned about the drama of the squad itself and kind of the psychological battle that they're fighting in this journey, right? There's all these different aspects of that scene that's pulling you into this moment of drama. There's the burst of relief as, you know, the other snipers taken down by the squad sniper. Um, but it's then there's like a sorrow that kind of eases over the scene as people realize, okay, Vin Diesel's dead. Let's take the letter. And then just cherry on top comedy with the little girl slapping her father for trying to give her away to the squad. You know, like it's like this overwhelming like perfection. And most audience members would watch that scene and think to themselves, wow, I love this movie. But they wouldn't even like be able to like, you know, or like that was exciting. <laughs> yeah. They're like, wow, that was like that was exciting. What's happening next and it was like, that was like flawless. It wasn't just exciting. It was flawless, you know? And yes, I think what really excited me about watching this and what made me begin to love Spielberg in a new way on this viewing is I constantly recognize these like master class scenes, right? That were, that are built and there's so much attention to detail in the way that they they kind of roll into each other. There's like this beautiful pacing throughout this movie, right? Um, and also with the context of his last movie that you forced me to go watch in theaters, uh, West Side Story, really, yeah. really like watching that and being like, okay, this is a very difficult movie to put together and somehow it kept me... like. I think what surprised me about that is like Spielberg kept me engaged with a movie I don't want to watch. So now I'm watching a movie that I do want to watch by him. And suddenly I'm sitting next to Jules who didn't want to watch a war movie and she's being pulled in by it. You know, like it's like it clicked. I was like, oh my gosh, Steven Spielberg is like a legend. Like, it's not just, (laughs) it's not just that, like, because I think, uh, and this is going to offend people, and maybe I haven't watched, I just need to watch it again, but I got to be real. Like, the first time I watched Jurassic Park, I was like, I don't get it. Honestly. I was like, I literally don't get it. You got to watch it it again. I know I need to watch (laughs) it again, but I, I, the first time I watched it, I was like, I just, I don't get this very much at all, you know? Um, And so, I, I just... Like, the Spielberg movies that stick with me are, like, the Indiana Jones movies, right? Um, And, of course, this one, Saving Private Ryan. But I think what what I've realized in exploring some of his films is that he's, like, he's... It doesn't matter what he makes, like, you will be entertained. You know? Like, that's kind of, like, what's... I think so incredible about him where we've watched so many filmmakers who are like, I don't care about like the audience's like experience. Like Spielberg is like a master of being like, that is my primary focus. You know, he's like, I'm going to say what I'm going to say, but I still am always going to consider the audience sitting through it at the same time. And I think it brings it to what many people think of as like, this is the quintessential like Hollywood popcorn munching movie 
when in reality it's catered for that, but it's also still like extremely artistic, still saying something very deep, you know, like I'm just like of all of all the mo- the kind of movies that we watch on this show, I'm like, this is all I ever wanted. That's basically like how I felt like watching this movie. I was like, this this is really what I want from movies, right? Is I'm like, it's sure. so easy to watch and it's like incredible. And so I just, I mean, that was kind of like my major takeaway, Cameron. What, 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 how many times have you seen this movie and what, what viewing was this for you? So I, this, this was my second viewing as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, th- I think in some ways, um, you're definitely right that Spielberg has a, has just an uncanny talent for making movies that, um, that are engaging on sort of the visual and, um, action level and sort of it just rawly entertaining, you know, they, they just hit you kind of in the gut. Um, but on top of that are dramatic, um, you know, have character motivation, have a, a sense of, you know, dynamism and, um, you know, pull you in through these other avenues if, you know, maybe the action isn't necessarily your thing. And, you know, obviously not all of his movies are, are action movies. Um, and, you know, I, he's not perfect. He has made the post. So, um, you know, there's, <laughs> there's definitely examples of him, of him making, uh, bad movies, um, that don't quite hit the mark, but I think his track record, I mean, overall it's, it's, it's highly impressive and he's a legend for a reason. I mean, the fact that he made, you know, Jaws, E.T., Indiana Jones, um, Jurassic Park, uh, and two of the most classic World War II movies ever made. I, I mean, it's just like, well, plus 1941, I guess, but uh, that that doesn't count. Um, <laughs> um, and then I I told you I I I watched Catch Me If If I Can If You Can um, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked about that. I mean, that is another one that is just um, nonstop. Just it just goes. You know, there's no there's no um, point that ever breaks your, your immersion with it. And I think, you know, this, this movie has so much, um, in some ways it has a lot working against it, um, from the onset. I, it's a, it's about a story that is, um, a little bit unrealistic, I guess. I mean, I know there it's somewhat based on a true story though. I'm, I'm not sure necessarily the veracity of it but um you know it is it is it's definitely a stretch to be you know sending a squad of guys to go save one private to send him home blah 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 you know there's something dramatically that you already sort of in the beginning feel could be over over dramatized or overblown um you know very hollywoodized about it um and then you know, there, there's also the element that it's one, it's three hours long and it feels like it could overstay its welcome because a lot of what they're doing is walking around kind of looking for one guy, you know, it doesn't, it, the plot thrust of this movie is not like, you know, they have, they obviously have one objective, but, um, at the same time, it's, it's not like this, this sort of large, um, conquering goal or, uh, you know, a, a, you know, it's something that is very small scale in the midst of, you know, this, this 
very historic moment uh, in in this battle. Um, and he kind of wraps you around around his finger because he's able to get you to care about everybody in the squad. They all feel like real people, real characters. Um, y- even when they do some, you know, some bad things, uh, even when Tom Hanks is sort of, um, you're not sure if he's doing the right thing in this situation. You know, when they, they storm the, the gunner's nest, um, and everybody thinks that that was, that was a bad call and it probably was a bad call. Um, you know, there's these moments where, where everybody has, you know, it's not like I, I could imagine a world maybe in, you know, the, the sixties or whatever, the fifties where this movie was, was very, um, was much more, you know, one guy has it right. And, you know, he's, he's Kirk Douglas and he, he's perfect, you know, um, Whereas this movie, I think it gives each character a personality and flaws and makes them relatable. And at the end of the day, even sort of a maybe far-fetched, you know, plot device, which is saving Private Ryan, um, becomes something that is crucial to... um, crucial to the message and the point of the movie in a lot of ways. Um, and so everything, everything works, everything that could work against the movie, um, actually ends up working for it in the end. And Spielberg is kind of a master at that. I would say, um, he, he really, I don't know. He, he, he knows his way around sort of, um, potentially sticky plot points where in another director's hand, it might come off as a little too dramatic or a little sappy, or maybe this is, uh, maybe this is too much, you know, maybe the audience won't buy it. Um, but in a Spielberg movie, I think, I don't know what it is, but there's something about it that the audience is there for it. You know, there's no, there, there isn't even a, a question about buy-in, you know, which is like in West Side Story, you know, you said like, I mean, I, I, I said it. it's ridiculous. They fall in love in, in, you know, a day or whatever. Mm. But after you sort of get over the, maybe the shock of that, um, you know, trying to get your mind around it, it just, it just goes away and you, you accept it, <laughs> you know, you accept it for the rest of the movie and there's no, there's no questions about it after that. Mm. Um, and in the same way, I mean, this, this movie it it definitely doesn't have that hard of a time getting you you to accept it but it certainly feels like you have um there's some there's some buy in and i don't know i i i think it's really impressive he he makes a movie that has um such a dark um it, you know a potentially very um disturbing movie he turns it into one that is actually very wholesome and beautiful in the end um i I don't know how he does that (laughs) he's like an effortlessly positive person somehow yeah yeah i i think the scene to scene impressed me on this viewing and i really i mean the movie's long enough but i had forgotten how well every character of the squad is fleshed out, right? 
mm-hmm. and how it seems like kind of generic GIs at first, and they slowly become these people uh, that are like incredibly like you're rooting for them. You're so excited for them. Um, and they do a lot to diversify. I think the members of the squad, I think I, I'm looking at the cast here, private Mealish, the Adam Goldberg character. Um, he's the only one that I'm like, not entirely sure what his role is, you know, besides just being another character, but he's still a great, uh, person, you know, whereas like Tom Hanks is the captain. Vin Diesel is, I don't know. He seems like kind of the, the big muscle, right? Um, he, he's like, um, in, um, in full metal jacket. He's the guy who, who runs out. Um, what was his name? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and, um, Edward Burns is like, just, he's got like the New York jacket. He's like kind of a hot shot. Right. And then, um, Barry Pepper's the sniper, right? And like he just has his own kind of almost like mythical quality to him where he's like Yeah. <laughs> uh he's the silent but like deadly um force who's like, you know, uttering prayers during his his like body count pile, you know. Um then there's like the medic who's like shaky and scared, you know. Uh which I don't know. Well, I don't... he's uh, he's the translator up him. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the medic. Um, oh, oh, oh. Um, the actor's name is Giovanni uh, Ribsy, I think. I'm probably saying that wrong. Right, right, right. right. Um, I love this guy. I don't know why. Like, every time I see him in movies, I'm like, he's like my favorite character on screen. I'm not sure why I, I love him. I think he's like very visually, something about him on screen visually just seems drained and exhausted and... I think he just, I, he he's I don't know I like him as an actor so hit him in like the scared, um, you know medical role who's like I just don't want to be here basically you know, um, and he's clearly tortured um, like he he's complex, and then uh, Tom Hanks like second in command, um, Tom Sizemore like I don't I don't know if I've seen him in another movie but he's. He he reminds me of some people that um, I know in real life, and he's just like that reliable guy. I don't know, like he's he's really um, he was way more exciting to watch on screen on this second viewing for me, because um, I, I was thinking about Tom Hanks pretty much the whole time on the first viewing, but I think the rest of the cast really stood out um, on this second viewing. So what really what I and, and then of course yeah the translator. Um, Jeremy, uh, Dave Davies. Um, so they all kind of fit their own unique, like perspective. And it kind of all culminates in drama around different, uh, like adversities that they face. Of course, the bunker push is a great point of tension and the fallout from that when they're pointing guns at each other as well. Yeah. Um, and I love, I just, that scene as well, like where you're like, I have seen this movie and I have no idea like what's going to happen right now, you know? <laughs> and the way that Tom, Tom Hanks character, like just, um, like brings the tension down by like, you know, talking about his past and stuff. It's it's so 
I, I don't know. Like, even as the audience, like, you're like kind of exhaling when he starts to talk. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he has a way, he is just this incredible leader, right? And um, even up until the climax, like that, like, I just, I think that this movie, like, it spends its middle portion really deeply, um, you know, developing the squad's emotions and feelings towards their war effort, right? Uh, and, and kind of their existence in it all. And then that's challenged finally uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the, like, ending conflict. Um, and that ending scene is brutal, dude. Like when you it were, is so I, I I was like, <laughs> there were moments where I was je- I was like fully disturbed uh, in the end. Yeah, oh, and yeah. it is. I just I I genuinely think like that it, it it's like that conclusion is like yeah this is a movie like for the ages like it's basically like like so <laughs> what are you gonna do about it you know like this is like not only do we pull on your heartstrings but then we're gonna like make you endure just like some tragic losses from these characters that you've now like lo- you've fallen in love with and they're not even like they're not even like normal deaths they're like just horrific like deaths too <laughs> you know and well, well and and there's something of there's something to the sequence like like you said yeah you you have a feeling towards all of these characters um you like them you you want them to succeed um and it could be that i i don't know how long i don't remember how long the sequence is it must be like 45 minutes dude it's an hour like, it's, it's basically so an hour long. yeah um and throughout that i mean obviously that could get exhausting on its own um but throughout that there is there's this dramatic arc of um you know going from from sort of succeeding and um you know beating back this this you know much bigger nazi platoon and um you know and then going into uh betrayal and cowardice and um death and destruction all the way to basically like the breaking point where tom hanks is sitting (laughs) on the bridge shooting a pistol at at the tank um and then you know the angels on on his shoulders as he says um and it it feels it feels so um so cinematic i mean it is just it's like it's it's an action scene for the ages like even as um horrifying as a lot of it is it is so exciting at the same time i mean it really is and and i think obviously intentionally so like spielberg knows how to um make you <laughs> make you feel like you're in the middle of the action in a lot of ways and this movie i mean you know the opening we kind of glossed over the opening sequence which is by no means um it is it's the most famous sequence in the movie i think and for good reason it's it's terrifying um you feel disoriented through it um there's a sense of just utter chaos and um annihilation you know the 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 birds nests are this like impossible uh capture point there's no way for you to ever um you know get there you, and you feel like you're you're 
hiding in the bunker with them or you feel like you're you know pressed up against one of the the big metal um tank barriers or you know against the the barbed wire you, you know you feel like you're you're in it and he he does many really interesting techniques with the camera that make you sort of more disoriented and more um not sure you know it feels like things are kind of shooting at you and you know you feel like there's there's something it gives you like anxiety in a lot of ways um and the the final battle sequence is shot much more linearly much more straightforward it feels like you're following these characters um and obviously it has the same sort of tension and and um feelings of you being sort of on the ground but um you're there at this point for the characters you know you um you want them to succeed and at the same time you already know their you know their plan already if that makes sense you know that they have um you know they have a certain objective and so to see you know when when you see upham hiding against the building you're you're like man like it's so frustrating to you but that's a dramatic point it's not like a it's not a point of action necessarily but watching you know uh watching mellish get stabbed uh in the heart is like so much more brutal than anything on the <laughs> on the normandy beach you know it just fe- because there's a there's a dramatic pulse to that but there's also um it's i mean it it is it is brutal you know the the, the sort of long wide shot of him you know getting stabbed but it's also you know you you like his character and you it's tragic at the same time um and uh upham is standing in the hallway you know he could have done something you know you feel like there's this there's this sense of of dramatic irony in there as well um and it's just it's just perfect like there's (laughs) that last battle sequence is perfect you know i still feel a frustration with upham that was like, like, what are you doing, dude? Like, I just, I was like so confused what he was even doing. Just cry. Like, I was like, I am so confused why he didn't go up there still. And I remember when I watched it in middle school, I was like, that guy sucks. Um, and then my, my viewing this time, yeah. I was like, I thought he was kind of learning to step up a little bit. Right. Um, maybe I just missed something. But I was sort of surprised that he wasn't gonna make a move there at all, even if he was unsuccessful. Right? It was just kind of strange because then he d- he makes that decision later. Um, well, after it's all, I mean, he's just a coward. Like that's what it is. He's he. It's cowardice. But and and he 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 does shoot the guy. Yes, eventually. But they've already won at that point. And and so I think. I mean, I think he just he hadn't. Um, he hadn't fully committed to, to, to the priority. Um, he, he wasn't, he wasn't ready to be there, if that makes sense. Yeah. His character is probably the least compelling for me, uh, besides being sort of a audience. Like he's not, he's not necessarily who the audience is like, oh, that's me. But he does provide sort of a mechanical purpose where he's, 
you know, asking questions that the audience would kind of ask in a moment or would kind of like when he's exclaiming about like, oh, we can't do this. This is wrong. You know, like we can't do this. Right. Like the, as an audience member, you're like, I love these guys. But yeah, I kind of agree with him. It's weird that, you know, he is the mechanical spokesperson for the audience when he's also the coward. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's reading too deep into it. Right. But um, I have very mixed feelings about him. And I think that's probably intentional. Uh, in in his character's design, but yeah, I mean, you're not. I don't. I think you are supposed to. Um, you're supposed to dislike him, but I think there's a part of you that that sees like you you understand that it is it's it's somewhat reasonable, um, and I think that's what you mean by you know the audience surrogate in in some ways. You know, he feels like. I mean, he's seen the least amount of combat. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Um, so he is kind of, you know, like like most people. Um, and who knows, you know, what most people would do. Also, I just want to mention um, Jeremy Davies. Do you remember? Did you play God of War? Yeah. You yeah. remember um, the what is the name of the unkillable guy? Um, I don't know. I'm going to click on his name so I can find something about him. The uh, the stranger um, who comes and beats you up uh, in the beginning. Is that him? That's Jeremy. Uh, yeah, that's uh, played by Jeremy Davies. Dude, that character is so good in God of War. Yeah. Balder. <laughs> yes, Balder. Balder, yeah, yeah. Dude, he is like such a cool presence in that game. Um, you also hate him in that game. So maybe he's just good yeah. at being hateable. But uh, <laughs> I think so. No, nah, dude, fantastic character, fantastic character. And also, a side tangent about God of War, he is like obnoxiously like weird and evil, but he becomes surprisingly like you have a touch of empathy towards him towards the end. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I very very well played part. So, yeah, I guess shout out to Jeremy Davies there, still killing it. I wanted to just kind of loop back to um, Tom Sizemore and Edward Burns. You know, my first viewing, I was thinking about the medic, Goldberg's death with the knife in his heart, uh, Private Jackson and the sniper, right? Those were the characters that I was like, man, I can't. Like, I was like, yes, like the war movie, you know? But I found myself really... Con like, there's something about Burns and Sizemore that I appreciated way more than I expected on my second viewing. Um, it's, I'm not entirely sure why I found them the most intriguing um, with, it, it, yeah, it's, it's almost like Sizemore, there's something about him being second in command to Tom, Hanks that it's like it, it's we I don't know how to describe it but almost this viewing I felt like he was an older version of Edward Burns character that had known Tom Hanks for a long time and Edward Burns was kind of becoming Tom Sizemore or he's like adopting some of his um appreciation for Tom Hanks leadership throughout the entire movie and what's really yeah. interesting is that these two guys are butting heads. They're both kind of similar in the way that they're like 
these powerhouse soldiers, like they're commandos, you know, and their mouths, like, like it's, it's like Tom Sizemore's the older, like version of that. Um, but Edward Burns is the younger, like New York, like I'm going to say it how it is. I'm going to walk away from this is stupid, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that their addition to the dialogue and the drama, um, of, you know, the entire squad, I think it's easy to get caught away with the more flashy sniper or, you know, some of the, the cowards and whatnot, but I, I felt that they were like much more, um, they were, they were more special to me, uh, on the second viewing. So I'm not entirely sure where I'm going with that. I just, I just wanted to say like kind of running through the cast. It's just, it's just an incredible group of actors that have a chemistry that's fitting. Um, and you're totally right. Like it, 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 it brings a new, it brings a new level of personal emotion to the ending fight where the first scene didn't have that. Um, I also think it's interesting how the first scene is an offensive push and the last scene is a defensive thing. Mm. Just very yeah, like interesting. very circular in a way where it's almost like they're in the shoes of the like they're defending versus when the Germans were defending. This movie does not shy away from kind of trying to remind the audience that like although the German Nazis are bad, they're still human and there's some brutal deaths that kind of make you make you feel mm, that wasn't quite right from the surrendering Germans getting shot after the D-Day invasion to, um, I, I mean, the Molotov cocktail scene at the ending where they're like burning <laughs> those Germans a lot. I was like, oh my gosh, you know? Um, it's, it's kind of this underlying theme in this movie, although it's very patriotic and definitely like pro-American, you know? Um, there's still a candor that is like human life is valuable and a war makes that very difficult and there's small comments that tom hanks makes where he's like every time i kill someone here i feel less like the man that i was at home you know like there's like yeah there's still these little nuggets in there that are like this is much deeper than a hollywood uh action movie it's it's um i, I remember being very contemplative about this film on the first viewing Although I didn't really quite understand it, the scenes that stuck with the, me the most were not the violence, but the quiet moments, mm. uh, the philosophical questions brought up in this film. Yeah, like the, the there's a moment uh, where they're sleeping in a church, um, and um, Tom Sizemore and Tom Hanks are are having this conversation, and he, he talks about, um, you know, every time I lose a man in my 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 squad you know, I say, I rationalize to myself basically that, well, I'm, I'm saving, you know, two, 10, maybe a hundred men, you know? Right. And so there's a sense where that you get through that scene that he doesn't, he doesn't really believe that. Um, but he still tells himself that. And there's, there's a, he, he has this sort of duty in a way, um, to, uh, to believe it so that he can continue to lead his men in unwinnable situations. You know, and, and Tom Sizemore sort of 
um, pokes back and he says, you know, but this this mission, it's about one man. You know, is that is that a fair trade, basically? Um, and by the end, you know, eventually pretty much everybody is is dead. Um, Tom Hanks and everybody but Jeremy Davies and and Matt Damon, I think, from I mean, he's not in the original squad, but I think all of the other characters die, right? Edward Burns, I think, lives too. Um, yeah, I, I can't so. remember, but yeah, I'm pretty maybe, sure you he's might, alive because right. he's he's like kind of looking at. Oh yeah, yeah, Tom yeah. Hanks you're right at the yeah, end. Right. With the... Um, so it's like it's like is there, um, you know, what? I don't know if the movie's not really trying to ask like if it was worth it necessarily, but um there's a there's an element of sadness to it where um the they're thrown in you know the squad is thrown in um to an unwinnable situation um because of orders essentially and so at the end of the movie you know when we get the flash forward you know Matt Damon's character private Ryan he he says you know did I was I a good man you know did I earn it um, which is very, I, it's, it's a very powerful moment. And I think it's kind of what, you know, what, what the, what he's me, he's wanting the audience to be left with basically, um, the mm. sense of, you know, earning the sacrifice of, of, you know, your fellow countrymen or, you know, your, your, um, your family, you know, your brother's. There, there's something to, um, to the movie that is, you know, essentially live like people died for you to, um, to be here today. Yeah, no, definitely. I think Matt Damon's um, presence is like confu- not confusing, but surprising to the squad when they get there. I really like his sort mm-hmm. of his candor of instead of being like okay like let's go home and the commander being like no you need to stay help us like he's like no like i'm not going and suddenly like the entire squad is like they don't they almost don't hate him for that they actually like him more it seems like yeah they were i think they respect him um right and i think that's why they they feel the need to to stay and and help you know defend this bridge essentially um yeah which was not their objective at all. Right. Um, but the objective was to bring back Private Ryan and they respect that he he feels that he needs to to stay to to protect, you know, his fellow company. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it- I I wanted to mention before sort of we move into final things um the uh there's a lot of this cast that was basically thrust into the spotlight because of this movie. Um, uh, so Paul Giamatti basically didn't really do anything before this movie. Vin Diesel didn't really do anything before this movie. And Matt Damon, um, who, uh, 
was supposed to be an unknown actor. He was supposed to be someone who, you know, people wouldn't recognize, but he actually won best pick or he won uh, best actor the year before for Goodwill Hunting. <laughs> so uh, that didn't really work out for for Spielberg, but I it's just interesting to note that there's there's a lot of a lot of people who are now pretty recognizable who at the time, you know, um would not have been and and you know, had a very successful career essentially because of this movie, I would say. Hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Which I do love, I love Paul Giamatti's character in this. He's so funny. Um, you know, he's kind of this grumpy, <laughs> grumpy uh, leader of a different um, uh, platoon. And he's just walking around. And he's, you know, he's kind of bumbling, but he's, he's still, he's just funny. Yeah. Yeah. He's pretty good in it. I, um, yeah, I want to talk a little bit. I don't know how much you know about this, but you know, the beginning of this episode we were talking about video games, Cameron, and um famously Spielberg was involved with Medal of Honor, right? And he kind of he had like a World War II obsession kind of, right, with this era in his movies. Yeah, definitely. So, it's it's kind of um it's just it's just interesting. Um, I think now, you can see the fingerprints of this movie on many, many um, video games that are, you know, still being made. Oh my gosh! I think, yeah. I mean, I think being the most sort of it's like a cultural touchstone moment for um, the basically what D-Day looks like, um, what it feels like, and so any video game that has a D-Day sequence is trying to aspire to, you know, the the opening of Saving Private Ryan. Um, but I think even the the final battle scene, there's there's a lot I, I can see a lot of inspiration for like you know, even just maps in um in Battlefield 5 and, you know, so many things that are like even the way that the objectives are laid out um feels like it's it's kind of straight from this movie. So I think I think you can totally see um, you can see how this movie influenced, um, visually just pop culture in general. Um, and it's, I mean, it's obvious, it's obvious that it had an impact. And I think I was reading something about how, um, y- you are, th- how, how there was a, um, a large wave of, um, of World War II video games after this movie you know with with medal of honor and then you know a bunch of call of duty games and and whatnot so yeah so the game released in 1999 a year after um the film came out and i guess the relation to spielberg is that and this is according to wikipedia so who knows maybe someone edited it yesterday (laughs) but um it was developed by dreamworks interactive and published oh. through EA and interesting uh, for for the PlayStation, um, and the story was created and produced by Steven Spielberg. Apparently, um, he had a meeting with the staff for an idea for the first person shooter um, because his son was playing Goldeneye, and <laughs> he obviously has a deep interest in World War II and re- and of course finishing Saving Private Ryan, right? Um, so. 
yeah, it's it's just kind of crazy that it's tied to DreamWorks and now Medal of Honor's owned by EA because it was published by EA. I'm pr- I'm pretty positive. I don't know if DreamWorks still has a um game development studio or if they spun off. That might be a little bit different. Yeah, but I don't know. For you nerds who like music, Michael uh Giacchino did the score for Medal of Honor. Oh. Very, very powerful, strong score. Um, I remember listening to the Medal of Honor Dogs of War score, I think. Let me see if I can find this on Spotify. <laughs> Honor, or uh, it might have been Medal of Honor. Yeah, but uh, Michael uh, Giacchino did most of the Medal of Honor uh, soundtracks, actually. So there's one for Allied Assault that's pretty good. Um, man, this guy has done a lot of music. Oh yeah, my gosh. definitely. <laughs> oh my gosh, the most recent Batman movie too. Yikes, that is a lot. Oh my goodness. He did Batman, Rogue One, and Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find the one that I was like, bopping with if you want to listen to some good work here oh i guess he's kind of he's kind of tied to world war ii because he did jojo rabbit in 2019 as well Ah, that's so who did who did the score for this this one cameron that we're talking about oh um i did not look that up um i could find it if pretty sure i know who it is i I think i have a good guess um because i played yeah of course john williams yeah that's what i thought um, I played the final score of Saving Private Ryan and Band. I think it was like my first year of Band. <laughs> we played mm, that mm, that mm, ending song, so it was pretty nostalgic watching that. Yeah, uh, the the credits. But man, this guy—it's pretty has... understated for a Williams score, I will say. Um, but yeah, I mean, great, it is... great nonetheless. It's extru- it's just a very patriotic sounding score. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it almost feels default in some regards. But I'm not I'm not entirely I'm not entirely sure if um if this is kind of what solidified the World War II score sound. Um but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, just in terms of <laughs> how iconic this movie is so hopefully this won't bleed into the microphone i just want to make sure that this is the song before i recommend it but uh the um medal of honor airborne theme like i used to have this on my ipod yes (laughs) most definitely so like this yeah because it's interesting right the the medal of honor score was like very influential just in terms of like carrying that world war ii thing and it goes even as far into like captain america's theme is basically just Mm. is literally just like the saving private ryan music yeah and that's that's like what's known as like oh world war ii patriotic heroes something about like the low bellowing horns uh, and the strings responding to it. That's basically the formula of the score. It's like, it'd be like, and then it does like the, dun, 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 dun. Like, right? Like, I, like it has like the, it, it's like a back and forth that, cre- that I, I don't know if this movie was the start of it, um, but it definitely is known as the sound now. So, um, prob- knowing John Williams, probably, 
probably it is. He's like, oh, I just accidentally invented the World War II sound. Um, but so one other thing to mention. Um, uh, do you know who Terrence Malick is? No. So he um, he's a filmmaker um, and he he's made some really excellent, excellent movies. Um, uh, have you heard of The Tree of Life? I've heard of it. Okay. Um, That's not well, to be confused with the um, the uh, Eddie Murphy movie where he has only so many words on a tree, right? No. What's that one called? No, I don't know. I, look that <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know um, why I've seen that, but I have. <laughs> but right, uh, the same year that, um, <laughs> that Saving Private Ryan came out, he also made a three-hour World War II movie um, called The Thin Red Line. And it is very good. It's very good. Um, extremely different, um, kind of uh, differently paced. Malik is a very interesting filmmaker, um, and he's not quite as action heavy, I would say, as uh, um, as Spielberg is. So you know, it, it gives you with a different feeling. But I always just find it funny that those two movies came out the same year, and one, you know, basically went on to go to be you know one of the most iconic world war ii movies of all time and the other is pretty much unknown by anybody so <laughs> dang too bad i mean i wonder if it's got george clooney in it man and woody harrelson Come uh on. for like two brief seconds yeah i'm sorry well, I haven't seen it has it. a lot gonna, of I'm it has a lot cast. of people for like half a second basically which the, is uh, kind of the, funny the eddie murphy the eddie murphy movie that i was thinking of was called a thousand words Mm. um don't watch it so okay. uh yeah okay well cool i mean is this maybe i should see it maybe i should watch it it's not good uh yeah i mean it's it's three hours so um put that on your on your calendar i would say well i mean we are going to be watching a lot of different war movies cameron so i mean probably not this one included but i guess maybe give the audience some uh insight into what's coming up next yeah, so I would love for you to watch Apocalypse Now. Um, I think that's probably what we're going to do next. Um, very interesting movie and very different um, than this one. Kind of has a has a it's much more rebellious movie um, and has a lot more. Uh, it's, it's just different. It's different. I'll say. Um, and. There's another movie that I didn't tell you about. I don't know if I want to tell you about yet. Um, no, I will. So there's another movie called Come and See, um, which is a World War II movie, um, but it's a Soviet movie. And it is. Um, it was made in 1985. And sort of, it. you know, it's obviously with the Russian perspective. Um, it's. I saw that at the Roxy with Juzo, um, actually at the like the week before the pandemic started. Um, and it is so haunting and brutal and terrifying. And I think we should watch it. So I'm going to add that to the list. Um, but uh, where else we'll go? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think, I think this month we should try to do an extra episode um, for the patrons. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking I really liked Enemy at the Gates. That's when I watched in middle school too. Have you seen that movie? No. It's a good sniper World War II movie. Um, 
I remember I also watched Defiance with Daniel Craig, and I was not a big fan of that movie. <laughs> but I think it was just slow for me at the time. Who knows? Maybe it is deep or something. Not entirely sure. But yeah, we're doing Apocalypse Now next week, right, Cameron? Yep. Okay. Well, awesome. I think it's probably good to close on that note. I feel like we could talk about this movie a lot longer, but uh, we probably need to wrap it up. So, <laughs> all right, uh, Cameron, any closing comments, anything like that? No, great movie. If you haven't seen it, obviously you should. So You got to see it. You got to see it. Okay, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you, and we will see you next Monday. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at Patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.